Welcome to Seekonk Speedway's 75 Seasons of Speed podcast. This is a walk back in time with a few of our favorites celebrating the history of racing at Seekonk Speedway. Hello everybody, welcome back to another episode of new podcast series celebrating 75 years at Seekonk Speedway, talking to some of the, the legends, the faces, the personalities that we've had here at the Action Track of the East. I'm Doug Sheehan alongside Kevin Boucher, and right now we are joined with Rick Martin. Rick, how you doing? Uh, pretty good. Rick, you've had a long, storied career at Seekonk. Um, take us back to the... We're going to jump in the Wayback Machine for a couple of minutes. We're going to mm. go back to the early days. Now, I know you used to go with your dad when he raced, but what are some of your earliest memories? Uh, just, I mean, watching all the greats out there from the Murrays to Bugsy to Leo Clary, my dad racing with them guys, and then to actually be able to race with them myself, I mean, that, you know, that's what I look back, and I think, you know, when I was a kid, I looked up to guys like Bugsy, like, he was my hero, and if I can be that to one kid these days, I mean, I've done my job. I think you've been able to do that. Um, now, it's been, what, 40 years since you started racing? 46. 46. Yeah. Do you remember your first time on the track? Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah, cars, cars went by me so fast that I figured I was never going. I should just quit then. I'm never going to go that fast. I thought I was. I thought I was setting world records, and a couple cars come by me, one on each side. Didn't deter you at all, though, did it? No, no, it should have, but I'm not smart enough to know when when's enough. But we're going to go at it one more year, I guess. Uh, it's getting a little rough now these days. Uh, trying to keep up the. The competition is really getting expensive out there to build cars these days. Over the years, over your early years, you had a real good relationship with Anthony. Uh, tell us about that a little bit. Well, Anthony was always kind of hot on me, but he always said that I had potential and he was going to mold me, even if it killed me, I guess. But <laughs> but his wife was uh, Mrs. Vendetti. She was such a peach. I mean, she was a couple of the times that she would stick up for me. Uh, you know, Anthony would change his mind and stuff. Did he? Did he ever throw you out of tr- out of the track for life and then call you the following week and wonder why you weren't there? He, well, he threw me out for said for life, and then uh, after I talked to him, kind of met him, and we had a little talk in the yard there. I was back the next week. Uh, <laughs> I think that was just to show me which route to go. Now, I remember a story. Uh, this was. Just before he passed, he was looking to do something to try to cut the cost of racing to do with the engines. And if I, if I remember correctly, it was kind of along the lines of a crate engine, and you were going to be his test pilot. Is that a true story? Yeah, he actually called me in 91, the year before he died, and he said he wanted to build a motor, all GM parts, and see if it would compete against the open motors that we had at the time, and... I was going to be his test dummy, and uh, it just uh, he got sick shortly after that. And it just never went through. But he had the vision 20 years before Crate Motors even came out that that was going to be the route. Seemed to be the way he thought. Of, he always thought long term when it came to racing. Yeah, well, I guess he could see the future. He knew what was going to be needed in the long run. I mean, 
motors, uh, open motors now at twenty five, thirty thousand dollars. So I mean, at least with the crate motor, it's an under ten thousand dollar deal. So the only way to keep, I mean, if it wasn't for that, I'd be out of racing. So he he was looking ahead. Going back throughout your career, you've had a lot of a lot of highlights at Seekonk. What is in your mind? What is what is the <clears throat> biggest highlight of your career? Well, I mean, most people would think I'd, you know, I'd say, well, I've had hundreds of, over 100 wins altogether. It's basically more, when I look back, the people I've met along the way, the friends I've made, the fans, I mean, people that I never would have known if it wasn't for racing that turned out to be real good friends. I mean, I look back at it, and that's what I take most from it, not the wins. I mean, the wins, sure, they're great, but... I mean, the people you meet, the teams. I've, I mean, I've driven for Rolly Limlad uh, in in the famous 48, uh, the double zero, Joe Brady. I mean, I've raced with Bugsy, Leo, Murray's, the Astles. I mean, that's what I look back and I think, you know, when they mention my name in the same paragraph as one of those guys, you know, the, that's that's what makes me feel good about racing. You mentioned the Estelles. Tell us about your friendship with Freddie. You guys formed a friendship early on in, in your career and have become good friends over the years. Yeah, I mean, we've always been friends, and we've been doing the same thing. So it's, you know, his family, my family, they grew up together. So, I mean, basically, it's like a racing family. I mean, everybody in racing. I mean, guys that I race against now, I mean, we'll be on the track, and we'll battle and taking each other out. But, yeah. On the way home, if you see the guy with a flat tire, they're the first one to pull over and help you out. You know, it's we all get to the track. We all want to win. We're all competitive. Not everybody's going to win, so not everybody's going to be happy. But in the long run, it's what we all love to do. And, you know, we're like one big family or one big bunch of crazy kids or something. Now, you've been able to win in a lot of different series. Um there was a time back in the early 80s you won a Bush North race at Seacock. Yeah, it was actually in 87, uh, the Joni Bush North race I ever raced. So it was, it was pretty good to win it and just retire at a bat and a thousand average. Do you have Do you have a career favorite win? Uh, that would probably be it because, I mean, that was a big thing back then. I mean, it was... It's who you race against. I mean, you're racing against a bunch of good guys, and it makes you feel like you're right up there with them if you can beat them. Now, you've been able to race across all across the Northeast. What is the draw on Seekonk that kept you coming back over the years? Well, I want to say it's close to home, but the, the, the people, basically. I mean, like I said, we're all... We're all a bunch of friends. We're over there comp competing with each other, but yet if somebody needs something, we're, we're the first one to go help a guy out when he's in trouble. Do you have a... When you look back on all the different drivers that you competed against, is there one rivalry that you actually cherished that you knew was going to be the hardest? Um, yeah, I mean... Chad Chase, Vinny Anderson, one of those rivalries is just they were at the top of their game, and if you want to be at the top of your game, you got to beat the guys at the top of their game. And we've always had some great racing. I mean, I've had some of my best races I can remember with Vinny and finishing second to him. And it, to me, it means more than races that I've won, just how hard we raced. Do you have a, driver, a certain driver that you enjoyed racing against because you knew – that 
as tough as they were going to race you? You didn't have to worry about anything? Well, that's the thing. There's guys that you can race tough with, and there's guys that give you a little respect. I mean, all the time I've raced with Vinny, I think one time I'm, uh, I've actually hit him trying to give him too much room. I hit the bearman, and spun him out. But we've raced side-by-side side where there was sparks coming out between our tires and never even felt them touch me for lap after lap. I mean, you know, there's got to be respect, too. Anybody can just bang a guy out of the way. In general, what is it What is it like to, to drive at Seekonk Speedway to maybe the average fan who hasn't got a – chance to, to, to even drive a race on the track because that's all you hear is just how unique of a track it is yeah i mean the the, the track it's it's like all corners so there's like it, you get some tracks like thompson you can just close your eyes down the straightaway and just you just going straight and then you get to the corner you got to make sure you don't blink but seacock you can't blink at all i mean it's you can get in trouble at any inch of the track what keeps you coming back rick after 46 years? Uh, the competition, and I, I just love tinkering with the cars and building cars. I mean, if I'm not building race cars, I'm building slot cars or RC cars, or right now we're building a dirt RC track in the backyard, so if I do retire someday, I can still go back there and slam doors with my friends. A lot of people probably don't remember, but you spent... You were a championship car owner for Freddie one year. How different was that of a feeling versus winning the championship as a driver? Yeah, it was actually kind of special because uh, it's something I hadn't done. I mean, I had won it as a driver the year before, but to, you know, to win it as a car owner. And uh, I'm the kind of guy in my career already where if I don't win – I'm happy for the guy that did win because I know how it feels when I win and how much work you put in, and that's the only time you get something back out of it. That I can be happy for the guy that beat me, just you know, not when it's Dave when he beats me every week, but you know, when a, when a guy puts the work in and he does it, and you know, he's loving what he's doing like I'm doing, and he wins. You know, I'm happy for the guys. Thank you know, you. It was, with, with Freddie, it was the same thing. You know, it was something that meant a lot to him to actually drive for somebody else and win a championship. You know? Now, I just lost my total train of thought, Rick. Thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> did you, when you first started racing, did you ever get to race against your dad? Um, no, I didn't. Actually, uh, no, I didn't at all. Actually, my dad had raced in the Class A's at the time, and when I first started. It was into the Class B, so uh, never we were at the track racing at the same time, but never together. Now, you've worn both hats in your career, the good guy and the bad guy. Do you have a preference? Uh, I mean, I like to have them think I'm the bad guy, so, you know, a little intimidation factor, but, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, a, I'm a nice guy down inside. I mean, I, I just want to have fun with these things. I mean, we're all like big kids that never grew up with our toys, and if we can all go there and all have a good time, that's you know that's what it means the most. Now, you've been able to make a living out of racing for the most part. You've had some great car owners over the years, uh, but you spent a lot of time building cars and trucks, and you still do. How much satisfaction have you gotten out of that? Well, I enjoyed more when we used to build that, you know, 90% of the car. Nowadays, a lot of it's bought, and it's, I mean, it's still a lot of work. You've got to put it all together, but there's nothing like buying a bunch of lenses of tubing and then three months later seeing it 
as a vehicle that's actually running. I mean, that's the satisfaction I get is just the building part of it. Now, what is it? You know, a lot of drivers will tell you about the fans at Seekonk. And you've been you've you've raced a lot of tracks. You've had championships at Seekonk and Thompson, and run it just about every track in the Northeast. What is it about the fans at Seekonk that seem just a little bit different? Well, the fans are loyal. I mean, I've had I've had a woman that used to boo me every week, and then when I didn't race there for one year, she was sending me letters asking me to come back because she, you know, she enjoyed out there just watching me race, you know. <laughs> Do you have a, a particular moment that stands out to you, whether it was in the pits or in the stands or on the track over your career? Uh, yeah, I've got a couple, but when it comes to mind, when I'm talking about camaraderie with people that were out there trying to, trying to win and, but, you know, you, you'll still help the other guy out. Me and Tex Barry one night, we got in a little thing on the track. We come in the pits, and next thing you know, we're rolling around on the ground, fighting. <laughs> and he was supposed to let me borrow a fuel cell to go to Oxford the next day. And when we got up off the ground, brushed myself off, I said, I guess I can't borrow that fuel cell. And he told me, you come over tonight, you got that. You can take that cell. That's got nothing to do with this. That kind of <laughs> that kind of set the tone for me where, you know, when when the helmet's off, it's a different, you know, we're all there. We're just, your life's on the line. when you, you, know, you get upset when somebody hits you and you almost hit the wall. But then, you know, later on you, you realize, you know, I'm sure the guy didn't want to hurt you or, you know, and. You know, it's just a commodity between the people. You know, we're there beating each other up, but yet we'll help each other out at the same time. Other than the bumps and bruises, have you ever gotten hurt behind the wheel? Um, I hurt my back a couple one time at Wiscasset. My seat broke, and but nothing really, nothing really. I'm, I'm in actually pretty good shape for what I've been through. <laughs> Tell it. We're looking for stories, uh, you know, behind-the-scenes type stories, whether it's back at the shop or something you enjoy doing at the track or as part of a superstition. You got anything to share with the listeners on that? Uh, that's kind of putting me on the spot there. I mean, there's <laughs> so many different things I enjoy at the track and stuff. I mean, stories, I mean, there's just so many of them. I wouldn't know which one to pick, but... You've been you've been able to roll the transition over the years and see the changes that have happened, especially with the pro stocks since you've been there since the beginning. What is what was the best time period in the pro stocks? Um, I know the car counts are down over the last year or two, um, and David's had a pretty dominant stint where you had one uh, several years ago. But to you. Sitting back, looking at it, what was the best time frame for the pro stock division? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say the '90s. I mean, before it involved the uh, store bought cars. I mean, years ago, if you had, if you could drive and you had a halfway decent car, you were you were in good shape. Or if you had a good car and you were learning, you were in decent shape. But nowadays, you need a great car, you need a great driver, and you need a good bank book behind you. I mean, it's you just have to have it all right now. There's no making up where a little extra hard work. I put more work into my car this winter than I've done in the last five years. Hopefully I can just outwork these guys because I know I can't outspend them. But, 
it's just you, you just can't make it up in any department. You can't outdrive them if they got a better car. And it's you know, it's just you got to have it all these days. Well, just in in, in general, parents, not Seacock specific, but what what could racing do? What what in your mind could could racing and NASCAR, whoever it may be, do to to get racing back to that that feeling that you had in the nineties? Well, you you need more diversity in the cars. Years ago, we used to build our cars, so I'd build a certain way. This guy would build another way. The cars all looked different, and they ran different. Now, I mean, any 15-year-old kid with a check can go buy the best car, and basically they're all the same these days. I mean, they all got the great motors. They all got all the lightweight parts, same bodies. I mean... Years ago, you you could tell different cars apart. Now, I mean, I look at them, I can't even tell, even on the road, can't tell what's a Chevy from a Toyota. You know? Race, what, what was your favorite track to race at? Um, I'm going to have to say Thompson. It was my favorite to race at, but it w- wasn't financially good to race at. It cost you as much. If you didn't win every week, you lost money. I mean, Seacock with their pitch structures, and it's cheaper to race there. I mean, you can finish fifth to tenth and basically break even. But I mean, track like Thompson is fast, so it's you know it's gratifying if you win there. But it's just when you crash, it's not you bent a wheel and a tire. It's four or five thousand dollars every time you you get an accident. How important is it for uh, the track, the ownership, whatever it may be, to have that kind of relationship with the drivers to? Uh, you know, make sure they know they're giving enough money back to the drivers in purses to sort of thank them for the effort they've put in to make sure they don't, you know, run and go broke if they have a, a bad week. Yeah, well, we've been working at the, uh, that this year, and Lenny Ellis has been doing a great job back and forth with Dave Auburn, and they're structuring the purses more where from 5th to 10th there's more money in the purse. I mean, obviously if the guy wins every week, especially if it's Dave, you don't really need – the money as much the guy that's running tent needs more money so he can compete to maybe be the guy that wins so we've been working on that and they're working on putting more money towards the middle of the purse just uh i mean you need to get more guys there years ago it was you know every garage had an old car in there because you could go race it for a hundred dollars a week now it's i mean basically it's six hundred dollars a week just to show up at the track so you know you gotta move some of that money back in the top five you know first, second, and third place, I mean, they're going to make money. But you need the guys towards the back to get more competitive or you're going to see the same guys winning every week. Now, over the years, you've been readily available for anybody looking for information, looking for help. How much how much satisfaction do you take out of that when you give that guy a little bit of piece of advice or a little bit of help and they go out and get better and better and um, find some success out there? Well, I mean, I feel like I owe that to the young kids these days because when I started off, I knew people like Bugsy Stevens, Leo Clary. And, I mean, Bugsy actually, when I was 17 years old, took me around his junkyard for about an hour showing me different A-frames and pan-out bars on cars and what they do. And that always stuck with me, like, you know, here he is, a star, and he's taking time to help a kid out. And I kind of figured I, I owe that back. I mean, that's... You know, I've always been helped along the way. So if I can tell somebody something that's going to save them, you know, a ton of money and a year's worth of testing because I've already tried it and spent all the money and it didn't work, you know, I'm glad to help people out with that. Now, we saw a couple of years ago uh, when Jake Johnson won, you were the first one down there to congratulate him. You were even wearing one of his shirts. 
Yeah. How how much you you you've seemed to take a shine to not just him but a lot of the young kids coming into the division. Now you mentioned it that they can write a check and get the best cars. Um, how is it difficult to get behind them to support them and and help them out, or is that just part of who you are? No, that's, I guess that's uh, part of how you know. Maybe I'm living my childhood through them again, thinking about when I won my first race. I mean, when you're young and you win a race, it feels like you just, you know, you hit the lottery. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy to see some new guy win a race. And, you know, and if I can help him do it, that's great, you know. After 46 years, do you still have goals? Uh, yeah, my goal is just to try to keep enough sponsorship money coming in to maybe do another year. I mean, the way it's looking this year, I mean, we're lucky enough to pick up quality rentals come on board this year, so that's securing the sponsorship for the year. But, I mean, after this year, I really, you know, without a major sponsor, it's tough to continue these days. I mean, these cars are $100,000 now, and, I mean, I eat and sleep these things. I work in whatever I make. The race car just takes it, so it's it's just getting to be too much work at my age for to come up with the car to run at the top notch. And I mean, I have the truck I can race, but to me, that feels like Kyle Busch going back in the series. You know, I mean, if I have to, I'll do I'll race the truck just to get my racing fixed. But I really love the Pro Stocks. I, I mean, I've been with them since 1980 as they started, and uh, hopefully, I can do a few more years. But it's just like getting too, too expensive. What's the battle like week in and week out for you this, this late in your career? Do you have the <clears> – obviously, you're still running. Obviously, you still want to race. Um, but what's that drive like coming back week in and week out? Same track here at Seekonk, same competitors, and you're just trying to get that little – the couple extra spots, and you're finishing trying to fight for that win. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because, I mean, 46 years later, the first race, it's like like – feels like the first race I raced I just can't wait to get back out there again and just uh, I mean work towards it I mean I'll be in the garage from now till midnight tonight working on the car all weekend I mean I work seven days a week on this car and 27 days till tryouts hopefully uh, with this virus everything goes fine and everybody's fine and we can get right back to normal and we get our tryouts on the 11, but just to get the car back to then, I mean, it's it's a scramble. I got 27 days, and I haven't even got a body on the thing yet. So, do you have any superstitions on race day? Uh, uh yeah. Sometimes I have to go a certain way when I get to the track. I either take the right and go to back roads, or take the left if I take the right and I happen to do good that week. I next week I'm kind of superstitious where I gotta I gotta go that same direction. <laughs> Is that it? Just that one, or anything well, else? Used, Colors, used be, peanuts. Uh, yeah, well, it used to be I had to have a slice of pizza right before the feature. Actually, I haven't been doing that lately, so maybe that's why I've been off a little bit. But <laughs> red, red, red licorice was always a race day thing. Well, listen and, to uh, oh. and and, a, and and if a bumblebee come by while we were at the racetrack, that was always good luck. Well, I'm sure some people will be sitting there buying some red licorice and pizza for you. Yeah, trying to get, back, get you back in the victory lane. This year, you finally broke through and got that 95th win. Uh, you, you're looking forward to 100. Are you gonna? Is that a, something you're reaching for, or it's just another number? No, that's the goal. I mean, I would like to hit 100 over there. Just uh, I don't know why it's not really going to change nothing, but I would like to. I would like to do that this year, to be honest with you. <laughs> but 
If if not, that might just be a reason that I'm looking just to keep out there. <laughs> well, we want to thank you, Rick. Uh, those are some great stories we had from you, and uh, we appreciate you taking the time to come talk to us for the fans to uh, get some insight over your long historic career here at uh, Seekonk Speedway. All right, I appreciate it. And, you know, it's all about the fans. I, I believe I wouldn't be there right now if it wasn't for my fans. Uh, you know, if, if they was to tell me, take your car and just go drive around the track, I would, nah, I'm not interested. But if there was five kids in the stands that said, I want to see how fast Chicago is, mister, I'd be out there in a heartbeat, you know. <laughs> hey, just before, just before we close, I think you set up a, you threw out a challenge to our spectator drags a couple of years ago, didn't you? Well, he was kind of challenging me. But uh, they wanted to go from a dead stop, and uh, our, our trainees now we only have high speed in them, so you can't even take off from a dead stop. But uh, I kind of challenged him. He wanted to do a 20 lap race. I believe it was that Evo there that was winning every week there. So he was kind of at the fence talking a little crap there where he was going to whoop me. So I said, Oh, well, get out there. You start in front of me. This way, if I'm faster, you'll know when I come by. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll lay down the gauntlet this year, Rick, for you. Yeah, there we go. All right, well, thank you very much, Rick. We appreciate you taking your time to talk to us, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. All right, thank you. Thanks, Rick. All right, thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of our 75th anniversary podcast here, celebrating the history of Seekonk Speedway. Well, thank you for taking the time to listen, and we'll see you on the next episode.